Hello and welcome to the Tech Team podcast from Cancer Research UK. I'm Graham. And I'm Josie. And we started this podcast to help tell the story of what we do at Cancer Research UK in the hope that other charities and people who are interested in technology will find it helpful or interesting to hear about our experiences. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Tiffany Hall. Tiff was appointed Chief Information Officer at Cancer Research UK in July 2017. Prior to this, she worked at the BBC for over 20 years in a range of technology leadership roles across the enterprise IT and broadcast engineering spectrum, including that of CIO. Her career in computing started as a graduate trainee with Shell UK, coding on mainframes. Welcome, Tiff. It's really good to have you here. It's great to be here. To get us started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you came to be in this role at CIUK? Yes, I'm somebody who's always been really interested in uh, numbers and facts and problems and solving. You know, all engineers, software engineers, we kind of, if something's broken, we want to fix it. Um, But I've also always been really interested in words and language and communication. So I was very torn as to which career to take and it was a bit of a toss-up between heading for an English degree or a maths degree but I ended up doing maths with computing and that sort of interest in words has stayed with me throughout my career sort of balancing off the inner geek which is definitely there I love a good bit of kit I think think we've all got a bit of that in the room (laughs) (laughs) this is a room of geeks all good and then how I came to be in this role at CIUK I was taking a break after I left the BBC I was doing some work on something called the Tech Talent Charter, which I'll talk about a bit later on, which is about diversity in, in, in the workforce in the UK for uh, in the technology sector. I was applying for jobs really only in the third sector, so Save the Children, CIO, Kew Gardens, and this one, which I got. Hurrah! Yeah, <laughs> great. Here we are. So um, you mentioned um, diversity there, and so today we're here to talk specifically about women in technology. Why is this an important topic to talk about? So the balance of uh, women in technical careers, not just digital and IT careers, but also in engineering, actually, in the UK, is is not representative of the population. So uh, for IT, it's about 17% of uh, the workforce in the UK is female. And that's important for UK PLC because it means that we are missing out on talent. There is a digital skills shortage in the UK. We all know how hard it is to recruit and retain people. So why are we not tapping into more people? And it's proven that a more diverse leadership of an organisation leads to better financial results. Um, So that's relevant uh, in all roles, not just for, for, for technical ones. And then as crucially as all of that is if women aren't part of the technical design of solutions for the population, then things won't be designed that work for women. Mm. And we've all heard the stories about sort of, you know, in cars, the early airbags were damaging to women's breasts because they'd all been tested on men. And um, the heating systems in buildings are designed by male architects and don't work for women's metabolism. The list goes on. And and for that to perpetuate into the world of tech, when it's such a big part of what we do in society, means women are going to be underserved in in the technical solutions around them. Do you think it's now that there's so much of a focus on user testing and, and things like that, that this is kind of that potentially is a reason that this is being highlighted, that the, the user testing wasn't really done in the past with representative, you know, possibly, consumers. quite quite possibly, and certainly when it comes to quite a lot of retail, the the female pound in the pocket is is a more important one than the male one, so that will be driving some of the behaviours in in the tech industry in terms of tapping into women more. But I, I think also probably the skills shortage is, is playing a part. Mm. I think that's part of it as well. 
So what are some of the barriers facing women in technology in the sector and has it always been this way? So I how's it changed? Feel, I feel that it has changed. So when I started out, it felt much, much more gender balanced than it is now. And there's all sorts of lengthy theories, doctrines and all the rest of it about, about how this is and, and why this is, including a really interesting book I've just finished about the role that government played in the... 50s and 60s in the imbalance of male and female workers coming through in the early days of electrical mechanical engine um, operations. But there's a whole range of things that are, that are barriers. The, the pipeline is not great. So girls, for various reasons, aren't taking as many STEM subjects as boys. Sorry, STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering and maths. So that's part of the problem. They're put off the careers by not great advice I think from schools I don't think the teachers um, and the careers advice is sufficiently aware of the range of roles and um, career options in technology there's a perception that it's all just you know coding which isn't helpful I think that some of the employment practices could be better Cancer Research UK is exemplary when it comes to um, flexible working and arrangements around maternity and so on but that's not true everywhere and you know I've been in meetings where not at Cancer Research UK, where somebody would say, oh, you know, does everybody have a hard stop at five o'clock? And then there's a kind of not always silent tut, but a definite tut mm. when somebody, usually a woman says, well, actually, yes, I have to go. You know, I'm doing the school pickup or whatever. And that is not acceptable. That feels quite, I mean, because we certainly don't have that culture here at the moment. Yeah. I, I just, like, I couldn't imagine that, but yeah. I think outside of not-for-profit, definitely, from, from experiences I've been passed on from from my friends as well that getting up like leaving at five or flexible working is pretty much unheard of in the in the in, in the sense that it is here and i think that's changing so i think that the the tools and facilities in in modern society in the workforce that now enable us to work remotely work late join conference calls i think that's all improving friends of mine who work in international organizations who are working across many time zones attending to have very flexible working hours you know and they'll be you know skyping to their colleagues in the states you know in their pajamas at whatever time yeah. but there's still it's still got a way to go yeah and um, we spoke a little bit about that on our future of work episode um with rachel xavier so if anybody's interested they could that's that um episode's still available um in terms of like some of the practices that we're, we're doing there thinking about things from a more personal perspective now as a woman who's clearly made a successful career for herself in in technology have you felt any of these barriers personally in your own career and um and if so how have you overcame them mm. so i don't have children, so that particular challenge, uh, I have a stepdaughter, that particular challenge hasn't been one for me. But I do think that continually being the only woman in, in the room or one of a few, it does kind of grind you down and you don't actually realise it until you're, you're somewhere where there's a, a different mix. I was particularly struck at the BBC when I worked on an HR systems project implementing a new HR system and suddenly my meetings were full of women and it felt quite different and, and, and in, a, in, a, in a good way. Um, and so I think some of the things that women tend to bring to the discussion, you get, when you're the only woman, um, some of the things around teamwork and collaboration that, that are very often more of a female trend than, than a male one, you, you can feel hesitant about always being the person that brings this up, you know. And at the BBC, I found my best way of dealing with that was to specifically tap into allies amongst the men who I knew shared 
opinions that might have been seen to be typically female but don't have to be. And and that was really useful to me and really important. Yeah. It's it's much more powerful also when one of the men points out that somebody is doing something that might perhaps be a little bit sexist or is talking over the women. So if one of the men says, uh, uh, did you just do some mansplaining? <laughs> it's, uh, it's good. It's really interesting what you said there about and you didn't kind of realise until you were in sort of a room with more women that actually so much of this is unconscious and, you know, until we kind of are shown or have that awareness or have that realisation, it just kind of plays mm. out, doesn't it? Mm. It, it does. And, and one of my colleagues at the BBC who was in the learning and development department, so that was you know embedded within HR, he was in a meeting with myself about our intranet with lots of my male colleagues. And he came out and he said, Tiff, how do you stand it? And I literally didn't know what he was talking about because I was so used to it. And then he called out a couple of examples, which I won't embarrass anybody by repeating. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not good behaviour, is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the BBC is a good place to work for women. Don't get me wrong. It's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Why has sort of pushing for diversity and equality always been quite important to you in the roles that you've had? My family background is very liberal, very egalitarian. You know, ancestors of mine founded the Fabian Society. So I was brought up to have a sense of social responsibility. I know that sounds all very sort of, you know, goody two-shoes, but it's it's true. Um, and when I was working at the BBC, well, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is disability um, when it comes to um, equality. And I had two blind people working in my team, and it was just such an eye-opener to me in terms of what they faced. Um, and so disability then became one of the um, diversity subjects that I kind of lobbied for hard and continue to talk about. Um, so, yeah, it's just somewhere in my DNA, I guess. Mm, yeah. Thinking about things more um, from a CRUK perspective now, do you know the male or female split um, here at CRUK and, and specifically within our, our, our technology team and how, how that compares with the sector? Mm. So um, Cancer Research UK is 76% female um, and that includes our shops which are are very female biased in terms of staffing. That's not untypical for the charity sector so the charity sector is very female and in technology we get the halo effect of that because we're just under 40% female in in our department and that is unusual for the sector. As I mentioned earlier the UK average is, is 17% so we, we do well out of being part of the sector which is is great. I actually read recently that even though there's only 17% of women in the tech sector in general, only 22% of, of women can actually recount someone who's, who's a famous woman who works in, in tech. I think PwC said that. I was reading that this morning that no one can even think of a, of a woman in tech, which is astonishing. Kind Good of. Lord. Yeah. That is sad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on recently to try and um, adjust that, particularly in Wikipedia, um, yeah. to get more scientists and uh, engineers and technicians, women, recognised in there. Um, our own scientists um, at the Crick Institute have been quite involved in, in some yeah. of that, uh, which is great. But that is that is extraordinary. Yeah. And I mean, considering the very first programme was Ada Lovelace, for goodness yeah. sake. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. So when I was kind of doing a little bit of research, I, I read an article and, and talking about that... Um, 
you know, there's this perception that the sort of tech industry is male dominated and, and we discovered that that wasn't always the case. And in World War Two, a lot of women were kind of employed to, to kind of solve problems and then stayed, you know, places like Bletchley Park and things, which I have. I think you have some I personal have connection. connections. I yeah. do. I do have a personal connection. Yes. So my some distant relatives of mine, but kind of my, my grandfather's cousins, two of them women worked at Bletchley um, and they tell, used to tell me stories when I was little of, not that little, about climbing out of the windows of the dorms to go down the pub to meet their, their boyfriends. Yes. Uh, one of them actually eventually married somebody she met at Bletchley who, and he later became part of, um, he later ran MI6. So yes, I have spooks in the family. Mm. <laughs> and our producer Steve, who's in the room, his daughter is called Ada as well, which is so beautiful. Yes, she is. <laughs> and she's oh, don't mind me mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that at the end. Um, yeah, but 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 then um, and so throughout the sort of forties and fifties, actually, it was actually it was it was seen as women's work yes. a lot of the computing, and then that seemed to change in the seventies and eighties. And there were a couple of reasons cited in this article, but one of them was um, actually in you mentioned earlier about sort of schools and the, and the pipeline. Um, toys were very, very gendered, and things like the the sort of Nintendo and the, and the games and things kind of being starting to be produced were packaged as boys' toys, and so that that could potentially have had a reason. But another reason was that the Silicon Valley um, explosion happened, and you had poster boys, Bill Gates and um, Steve Jobs, as the kind of heroes of technology. But but there weren't any women alongside them, so that was potentially one of the kind of reasons or you know that, that it's started to become you know more male dominated and I think there are just masses of reasons that yeah. all together yeah. collectively turn yeah. into this sort of perfect storm yeah. that has yeah. put women off when going you start to look at career. it it's very interesting yeah. yeah I mean Facebook CEO at the minute is our COO is is, is female YouTube CEO is female and IBM's is but you, they don't seem to get from my perspective um, the same level of exposure as what you see from yeah people like Zuckerberg. And- so famously, back in the day when Steve Shirley set up her, her software house, she had to change her name, but will abbreviate Stephanie to Steve and call herself Steve Shirley in the letters that she wrote, um, uh, her business letters to, to get answers. Otherwise, she wasn't getting replied to. That's incredible. <laughs> so what are um, CRUK and the you know our technology directorate um, doing to improve improve the um, sort of gender imbalance? So we're signatories of the Tech Talent Charter, which I mentioned earlier, which is an employer's pledge to best practice around recruitment and retention of women. And the people who've signed up for the Tech Talent Charter share their stories and their best practice. And on their website, there's fantastic materials about things around how you write job description, around around um, various policies and practices that will help women in tech. And, and actually, the Tech Talent Charter will be moving on to other forms of diversity. They'll be moving on from gender very soon. Um, can other, other organisations kind of join Yes, that? of course. Yeah. Yeah. So the signatories range from, you know, big tech companies and the big centres and so on of this world through to small startups, recruitment firms. Um, uh, last time I looked, there were about 200 plus signatories. So there's that. We recently went to the Women in Silicon Roundabout event. We sent a few people uh, from the team went last year as well. And we're really impressed by the, the content. And so this year we, we actually went, our recruitment people went and had, a, had a, an HR recruitment stand to publicised CRUK as as a destination employer of choice because it's not obvious to people that a charity would be somewhere where we would be doing really exciting tech. Mm. And yet we are. We are the biggest... 
can, uh, with the biggest charity in the UK, um, with the biggest independent cancer charity in the world. Um, we have an incredible cause, and you know. We also do amazingly diverse things with tech and people don't realise that. So getting the message out there is is really important. I think I wouldn't underestimate how great CRUK is in terms of its flexibility around things like returning to work. The, the returning approach here is the most flexible I've ever come across. People will bend over backwards to accommodate somebody coming back from, from maternity leave. At, at considerable inconvenience mm-hmm. um, we've, we've to had, the rest of the team. And also we've had a lot of um, the guys in the team as well taking yes. shared parental leave. That's that's quite common, um, particularly in, in tech yes. teams. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Yeah. So we're pretty we're pretty female friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. and join us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, on that note, you're, I know you're part of the Women's Network here at CRUK and I know you are as well, Josie, I think. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and about how and uh, why you've played an active part in pushing for diversity and equality in the roles that you've had. So, um, for example, on International Women's Day, we had a speed mentoring event, which I took part in. So we had seven minutes to mentor various colleagues from around CRUK before they moved on to the next person. Um, so that was great. Um, I've had really good feedback as well from people who attended that. So oh, yeah. good, yeah, yeah. good. I did some similar 20-minute slots with our research department during their careers week. Um, that was men and women, actually. I'm also, when it comes to diversity more broadly, um, on behalf of the executive board here at Cancer Research UK, I'm the sponsor of our BAME network. Um, that's Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic, but um, that's not today's subject. Mm-hmm. And... Certainly in my leadership team, I'm always encouraging them when they're hiring to, you know, push for a gender balance shortlist, which is also a tech talent charter pledge. Um, And most recently, our director of engineering trawled through LinkedIn and contacted every single UK woman he could find who had the right qualifications for uh, a head role in his team. He really put a lot of effort into it, to to no avail, sadly. I think it's super interesting that you know, we're, we're sort of talking about technology and the technology industry is predominantly male at the moment, yet we have quite a high sort of figure of females. Yet we're in this charity sector where two thirds are women, but we're also in the research sector again and um, sort of uh, academic world, which again is, is very male orientated. And it's very interesting that we've kind of got these polarised um kind of industries but we because we're sort of bringing them together that we have this sort of like blend and like you mentioned the halo effect mm-hmm. um, but do you think also with the charity sector do you think that it should be more to, done to, to kind of bring sort of more males in, into that world I don't, I don't know I'm just throwing that out there yeah I think when it comes to our fundraising activities I, I am concerned that our demographic is not representative of the people who we are trying to tap into and whether that's our philanthropy and part corporate partnerships team who are try- who are people talking to high net worth individuals, people who are running big companies who are predominantly more likely to be you know, men, men than women, and that yet they themselves aren't from that background or of that experience. And when it comes to our more mass fundraising, the fact that we are not a great mix when it comes to social mobility um, or gender or ethnicity I think is, is is an issue and I think it's one of the many many reasons why Cancer Research UK is putting such huge efforts behind its um, its EDI uh, agenda at the moment mm-hmm. sorry equality diversity and uh, inclusion uh, agenda so just thinking back to the 
women's network that we've talked about and following on from that, what advice would you give to other organisations who want to improve in that kind of area or focus on that area and, and are there any um, tangible steps that they could take um, to make a start in that? Without wanting to sound as if I'm sort of a salesperson for the Tech Town Charter, which is not for profit anyway, um, there's masses of really great advice there on their website and case studies and contacts of organisations who are willing to, to talk about it. And sometimes it's really interesting little examples of things. So the amazing HR director from O2 Telefonica, she, they'd taken names off CVs for a long time and they then took the universities off and had blind CVs, blind to the university as well for their grad intake. And one of the unexpected consequences was that they had um, an increase in the number of young Muslim women applying and being successful in getting, or being successful in, in getting a post. And it was because the university's people had an unconscious bias towards certain, in, their hiring managers had an unconscious bias towards certain universities. And um, Muslim women very often aren't allowed to live away from home when they go and study. And so they were tending to go to universities local to those communities. Mm-hmm. So that was really super interesting. So there's lots of great stories and examples, things you just wouldn't imagine that are making a difference to your hiring mix. Um, so, yeah, I would point you at those resources. Mm-hmm. And I guess also we've mentioned it a couple of times, but the remote, remote working, you know, and, and allowing women that might not even live in the, the bigger cities, you know, or that have got kind of um, sort of families and, th- and things to, to look after. That That's a massive enabler as well, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely huge. So, yes, having really family-friendly employment policies is, is super important. So um, you recently won CIO of the Year at the 2018 Women IT Awards. Congratulations. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yes, it was amazing. I had absolutely no idea that I was going to win. The company that nominated me, when they asked if they could nominate me, I was like, well, I haven't done enough yet. You know, I've only been here 18 months, still more to do. And they were going, no, great. You know, anyway, there I was sitting on their table at this sort of, you know, posh black tie dinner, 1,200 people. And um, there, you know, there were 21 awards and CIO of the year was the last one. And <laughs> I won. I couldn't mm. believe it. it was so did you have a speech prepared? <laughs> well, I'd looked at the agenda of the evening and it, it, they were going to hand out 21 awards in 40 minutes. So I was pretty wow. sure that there weren't going to be speeches and then the second last award was woman of the year and she was asked to say a few words and I thought oh my god in the (laughs) unlikely event that I'm asked to say anything then you know uh." yeah action stations (laughs) yeah so I I had I had um it's you know my my main thing was to say what an amazing team I had and that we're on quite a journey and a and an exciting trajectory and of course I ended on together we will beat cancer great very very nice nice I'm grand on brand, on message, <laughs> so true. And then how about, you know, do you have any advice? Uh, I mean, I know you spoke earlier about the sort of mentoring and, and things like that, but, I mean, what advice do you have for women in the workplace, whether it be tech, charity or, or other? I think this is probably advice for people in the workplace, which is putting your hand up to do extra stuff. And that's hard when you're busy and overworked, but... It's very often those additional things that you offer to do that give you the evidence in an interview of things that are additional to your job that give you the the stories to tell that enable you to not have a gap when they're scoring you in the interview process. And 
it's particularly true of things where you get yourself into a catch-22 of, but I can't go for that job because I haven't got that experience and I can't get that experience until I get that job. It's it's the extracurricular, if you like, extra stuff that will enable you to do that. And whether that's being a governor of your school, your kids' school, or whether it's something at work, those things are important to help you round out. More specifically for women, there's a, a well-known statistic that women will tend to apply for jobs where they can hit 100% of the um, skills and experience required for the job and men will go for it at pretty much anything over 60 or 70%. So that's something women need to guard against, being conscious of that, being mindful of that and saying to yourself, the job is a stretch. You know, you shouldn't really be going for a job where you can do everything because you should be growing and moving on and, and for women to tell themselves that and to tell themselves that the men are thinking differently mm. I think is really interesting and really important and then specifically going after additional experiences that enable them to say okay well I haven't got that experience but here's how I, w- I would deal with that gap here's how I would learn or here's something from um, not from my job but from something else I've done that is sufficiently similar that shows you I can do this yeah yeah that's great great advice and actually you know in terms of sort of the extra stuff like if you've got passions or you're naturally good at something you know if you can find something to own that shows you know somebody potential and like maybe it's like setting up a women's network or you know other network yeah. or, or kind of you know community groups and, and sort of initiatives um, on the side you know as well-being things like that there's, there's lots of that happening here so yeah so on a final note, we just wanted to ask you if there's any um, any resources you'd like to make people aware of on this topic. I know you mentioned that you, you'd recently um, you'd recently finished reading an interesting book. Um, maybe. Yes, I've just finished reading Programmed Inequality, History of Computing, How Britain Discarded Women Technologists and Lost Its Edge in Computing. It's quite a dry read. It's quite academic. Um, I felt it could do with a bit of an edit myself, but um, it, it was very interesting about the kind of early days of computing and what happened to the women at Bletchley Park and what happened to um, other uh, women in the kind of early computing industry. But there, there, I mean, there are masses of great um, books out there and we can maybe uh, attach a bit of a bibliography. Um, yeah, we can include lots of yeah, so there's, show a, notes. there's a book called Bloody Brilliant Women, The Pioneers, Revolutionaries and Geniuses, Your History Teacher Forgot to Mention, so lots of good um, role models in there. And various books by the incredible Dr. Sue Black, who um, is just such a, a heroine of mine. Um, so, yeah, there's lots out there. Cool. Yeah, that's that's everything we've got to ask you today, Tiff. So thanks a lot for coming along. We've been, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you. Yep, super appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed hearing from Tiff. Tiff's Twitter handle is at Tiffany M. Hall if you want to follow her. If you'd like to hear more from the technology team at CRUK, you can find us on our LinkedIn showcase page. You can also read the technology blog at medium.com forward slash cancer research UK tech team blog. And you can see what roles are going within the technology team at CRUK.org forward slash tech jobs. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast team directly, you can now send us an email to techteampodcast at cancer.org.uk as we'd love to hear from you. Um, Links will be included in the show notes for this episode. And thanks again, Steve Burke, for producing the podcast. And thank you to everyone who gave us positive feedback on the last episode with Sam and Simran, who came on to speak about their careers and the different pathways into technology. That episode and all of the previous episodes are still available to download now if you'd like to listen. If you like the podcast, please share it on your networks, leave us a review and subscribe. 